Welcome to the Richard Blackby Leadership Podcast, helping people take their leadership to the next level. Brought to you by Blackby Ministries International. All right. Well, welcome back to the podcast. Well, thanks, Sam. Yeah, it's good to have you with us. It's always good to be with you, Sam. These these would be really boring if you couldn't join <laughs> us. You know, uh, you've you've uh, you've kind of got a stretch here where you're home for a bit. I know. I I, it's, I think it's a, a solid month. I'm not getting on an airplane, which is I think a record in modern times. Yeah. I was supposed to actually spend two weeks in Brazil, and uh, that ended up getting moved. And so all of a sudden, I freed up two weeks that I thought I'd be out of the country in. And so that's just, wow, it's just amazing. That can what, be nice sometimes. Just to just, be at my desk for a solid week or two in a row. Uh, yeah. Who knows what profound thoughts I'll have yeah, for you. Yeah. We're, you know, we're anxiously awaiting <laughs> the next uh, yeah. deep thoughts from, from Richard. Uh, so if you have been listening, you know, we've been going through the experiencing God, the seven realities of experiencing mm-hmm. God. Uh, we took a break last week and looked at one of the leadership books. And uh, we like to do that every once in a while. But uh, we're going to carry on with the Experiencing God realities. And today we're looking at Reality 5. Yeah. And uh, why don't you tell us what's Reality 5 all about? Well, as uh, our listeners heard over the last month or so, Reality 4 is about God speaking. But Reality 5 is that God's invitation for you to work with him always leads to leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. And so when God speaks, it's going to typically lead to uh, what we call a crisis of belief. Hmm. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a, a reality that has challenged some folks and uh, raised some eyebrows. And a lot of people have come back to me and said, yeah, I think I'm in a crisis of belief right now. Yeah. So what do you mean by crisis of belief? Well, uh, it can sound a little uh, negative in one sense, uh, you know, if uh, you're you think, well, God's going to speak to you, and then suddenly you're going to have a crisis of belief. But, but part of the, the, the reason for that is that he's God, and you're not. Mm-hmm. And God does things at a God level. Uh, God does things from an eternal perspective. God uh, does things on a dozen different levels at the same time. Yeah. We tend to think just in terms of what's right in front of us. Uh, I'm going to go have lunch with uh, a friend today. Yeah, well, that's at one level, that's what is happening. But God also knows that that friend of yours is uh, in the midst of a crisis right now, and it's affecting his kids, his wife, uh, that God wants to minister to that man's whole family through your lunch meeting. Mm. God also knows that uh, the waiter that'll be waiting for on you at lunch is also in a crisis and uh, is having one of the worst days of his life today when you he'll be serving you and you have a chance to reflect Christ to them. And again, his, he's not a Christian, but his eternity is at stake. And so, you know, God could, if, if God were unpacking and saying, so what are you doing at noon today? You'd say, oh, I'm having lunch with a friend. God might say, well, there's actually a dozen different things happening, a dozen different people that will be impacted by that lunch and what I want to do. And so you can call that um, a crisis, but what it's, what it's saying is, that God is always doing far more than what you would just see on the surface. Yeah. And so when you begin to realize the magnitude of anything that God tells you to do, I mean, it just, I don't know if there's ever a time where by obeying God, you accomplish just one thing. 
Mm. There's always multiple things taking place. And so, for instance, maybe you're at work and you're being asked to compromise uh, your ethics um, in, in order to make a sale and you're agonizing about that. You want to keep your job. You want to make your boss happy, but you don't want to compromise your faith. Yeah. So you, but you feel like God is saying, I want you to take a stand. Uh, well, at, at one level, you're, yeah, you're taking a stand, but, but at, at another level, your boss is going to find out just how real your Christian faith really is. Mm. He knows you talk about it. Now he's going to see you literally put your job on the line. But God also knows that you've got two teenage kids that are aware of what's going on at work. And you've dragged them to church since they were born. Uh, but they're going to get a, a better lesson in walking with God from what you do at work than they have in attending Sunday school for years. Your spouse uh, knows your walk with God, but uh, but by watching you take a stand, it's going to cause her to experience revival in her own walk with God. Uh, you've got maybe some friends praying for you at church, and this is going to inspire them to take a look at their own compromises that mm-hmm. they're making at work. And it's going to make them revisit the way they pray for people who are facing these kinds of temptations every week at work. And it's going to change how they pray. And of course, every time you pray, you can be impacting eternity. And so, you know, if you were to ask God, well, what all is going on here? Uh, you'd say, well, I'm facing a real tough decision at work. God would say, well, that's true, but you're also going to be impacting a dozen different people and Mm -hmm. literally affecting their eternity. So, there's way more at stake here than simply just deciding to do something or not do something. Yeah. And so every time God speaks to you, you need to understand the magnitude, the weight of responding uh, to what God is guiding you to do. And, and when you begin to understand how much is involved in even one act of obedience to God, all of a sudden that's going to cause a crisis because you're going to realize, I thought I was just having lunch, <laughs> yeah. but I'm actually affecting the eternity, perhaps the, the salvation of somebody, their view of God and what he's like by what happens over that lunch hour. Okay, now now my heart's racing a bit. I'm starting to realize there's way more involved in that. And, and that's essentially what you would say happens every time God speaks. God always has far more in store than perhaps what you'd initially think. And so when you begin to realize that, then you'll realize uh, every time God speaks, yeah, it is a crisis. Uh, I've got to decide, do I trust God enough to step out and do what he's asking me to do? Hmm. Well, so I guess the other follow-up to that would be uh, crisis always, when you think of crisis, that, that has a lot of negative connotations to it. Yeah. Um Unless you're a, you know, a a masochist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So do you think it all, like when God speaks, do you think it's always, it always leads to a crisis in in that sense or can... Well, I think if, when you go through experiencing God, my dad actually explains that uh, some of the the Greek word for that, it can also just mean decision. Uh, You're making it, 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 crisis, yeah, we think of that as a negative uh, thing, yeah. but it can also just mean it leads to a decision of faith. Uh, it's a, it's a crisis because it's, there's a, a, a magnitude to it. There's a lot at stake there. Yeah. Uh, it can be, it can be frightening because of just, you don't want to get this wrong. Uh, and God is stretching you. He's, he's pushing you to the edge, uh, of your faith and your trust and your, your belief and your ability. 
And so oftentimes we can view that as a crisis, um, but, um, but it's not, you don't necessarily have to see that as a negative thing. You know, yeah. I, I know a lot of people that basically are bored to tears by their job. They're maybe bored by their life. It's a, just a very safe, predictable life that doesn't really change the world or have much impact on anybody. It's just a way to earn a living. Uh, and then all of a sudden God comes along and says, all right, I want you to get out of your fishing boat and follow me. You know, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, as long as they're f- fishing for fish on the Sea of Galilee, no, th- they've got no opposition. No one wants to kill them because they're fishing for fish. No one criticizes them. Yeah, no, you know, they're not uh, ostracized and thrown out of the, the, the synagogue because they're fishing for fish. But the moment that they respond to an invitation from Jesus, get out of your boat and follow mm-hmm. me, wow, there's, uh, there is a crisis there because who knows what that will lead to. Life's not going to be the same anymore. Well, you can see that as a negative thing, but at the same time, you could also say, well, if, if my whole goal in life was just to have a comfortable life where there were never any surprises, yeah. where my life never really had any impact on anybody, so no one cared what I did, if that was the goal of your life, then this would be a real negative thing to suddenly be turning the world upside down. Um, but I would say the greatest moments of your life will come when you've just heard a word from God, where God does stir things up, where God says, I've got a lot more in store for you than just earning a living, just yeah. paying down a mortgage, just going to work uh, Monday through Friday. Um, you've been just living for the weekend. You've been living for your two-week vacation once a year. Uh, I'm going to introduce some things into your life that will scare you to death. And, uh, <laughs> and that's actually a good thing. It, it means you're, you're really living now. You're living on the edge. You're, you're making a difference. Uh, you're even perhaps offending Satan and the forces of evil because you're impacting God's kingdom now. Uh, so you could see it as a negative thing because your life may be being disruptive. But on the other hand, you might say, for the first time, I'm truly living. I'm truly making a difference. Yeah. Uh, now I now I realize why God put me on this planet in the first place. Surely God didn't put me on the planet in the 21st century because he knew someone needed to pay off the mortgage of the house I'm living in, you know. Yeah, right. Uh, surely God had a lot more in store for my life than that. And and now I think I'm beginning to get a glimpse of how exactly God wants to use my life. So so your heart may be racing and you may be scared to death. It, you may be facing something you've never dreamed that you'd ever be doing. Uh, but at the same time, you may be truly living for the first time. And so is that a crisis in a negative way or is that a crisis in a positive way hmm. where you realize, all right, I'm making a decision now that I think is going to completely change the rest of my life. Um, that ought to get your heart racing. Yeah. But at the same time, what a way to live. Hmm. Well, this is exciting stuff. So let's uh, take a quick break. Join Dr. Richard Blackbeat and people from across America for the quarterly 45-minute Marketplace devotional conference call. The next meeting is on July 10th at 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Visit WorkforceMinistries.com for more information. Links will be in the show notes. So, Richard, uh, the Reality 5 leads to a crisis in belief when when God speaks. What are some, some ways that that looks like? 
in, in practical terms? Well, I, in the uh, Experience in God book, of course, my dad unpacks the life of Moses. And yeah. uh, for 40 years, Moses has been herding sheep. And so he, he knows that business pretty well at that point. 40 years of spending day after day after day out in a wilderness with a bunch of sheep. And probably few surprises for him at that point. After 40 years, he's seen it all. The odd mountain lion. Yeah, he's uh, pretty comfortable. Uh, He knows he can do it. He he doesn't have to take any strengths, inventory to know, okay, I think I (laughs) have what it takes to be a, a shepherd. And then one day he comes across a burning bush and God says, I want you to be my instrument to deliver an entire nation out of bondage. And of course, Moses has a number of, he experiences a crisis of belief and he has a number of thoughts come to his mind. Like, uh, I've been herding sheep for 40 years. I haven't led anybody except sheep in four decades. I don't, uh, I haven't spoken. I haven't given speeches. I haven't had to organize uh, people for 40 years. This is after 40 years, even if I once knew how to do that, I've long since forgotten. Yeah. And he's thinking 40 years ago, I tried to deliver just a a couple of Hebrews from an oppressive Egyptian and I had to run for my life as a fugitive. I've been on the run for 40 years because of my botched attempt at just delivering one or two Hebrews. Yeah. And now you're saying I'm going to deliver an entire nation. And besides that, Pharaoh and the Egyptians are at that time perhaps the most powerful world power on the planet. You're telling me I'm going to go face to face with the most powerful person. And, and and the Pharaoh is the one who actually put the death sentence on Moses and made yeah. him flee in the first place. And that particular Pharaoh is dead now, but it was that position, that office that uh, made him a fugitive in the first place. Now he's going to go back to the very place that, uh, that outlawed him and tell him very unpopular news. And this guy's got the most powerful army in the world. Um, th- yeah, there's lots and lots of reasons uh, to have a crisis of belief. Because if what God said, I mean, God is, if you do what God said, in this case, you're literally putting your life on the line. It could, yeah. it could cost you your life. Um, it, it, and you've, it's you, you've got a safe life at this point, a predictable life. Why not just kind of, he's 80 at this point. Uh, I think we, we sometimes forget that. Of course, in Bible times, people lived a bit longer than they do now. But uh, if you're 80, at that point, don't you just kind of settle in and, and assume, uh, hey, if God wanted to do something when I was 20 or 30, 40, that'd be one thing. But I'm 80 now. It's too late for me. Yeah, past your prime. Yeah. And so at this point, it's like if God ever were going to do something in my life of significance, it's that time has long since passed. And so for God to come to a senior citizen and say, I'm going to deliver an entire nation out of bondage. I'm going to have you go into the courtroom, to the White House of uh, the most powerful world leader and tell him news he's not going to like that will actually probably make him angry. Uh, If you're 80 years old, it's like, God, that you get a younger man get someone yeah. else. Uh, that is what a crisis of belief looks like. But at the same time, you also have a crisis of belief to say, but if I don't go, will I be missing the greatest opportunity of my life? Yeah. Uh, will I look back for the rest of my life with regret and think, you know, there was that one moment in my otherwise ordinary life where I felt like God wanted me to do something, but I just thought it was crazy. I didn't have the time I didn't think I had the skill set. I'm not really good at that kind of thing. 
And so I just somehow thought God must have made a mistake, and I, I let it go by. And do I want to spend the rest of my life second-guessing? Did I just miss the greatest opportunity of my life? The one thing, you know, for 40 I mean, the, the account of Moses herding sheep for 40 years is passed over in a verse or two. Um, 40 years of his life hardly, you know, in, uh, deserves even a verse to, to sort of summarize 40 years of, your, yeah. of his life, uh, the, the highlights. But then when, when he hears a word from God, all of a sudden it's, you're on the edge of your seat, chapter after chapter, book after book of the Old Testament, describing what happened when he began following God's invitation. Mm. That's where your life makes a difference. That's where you look at your life and say, those were the highlights, not the things I was just doing to earn a living, to raise my family. Uh, but when I was on a, on a journey with God doing what mm. God had for me. And so, so that's what, uh, happens with Moses. And, uh, and I, and I find all kinds of people will come and say that they'll say, I'm having a crisis of belief right now. I, I feel like God is leading me to do this. And I, and over the years, uh, my dad and I, and our ministry, We've had many, many people come up to us and tell us about their crisis of belief. Uh, they, they were in line to inherit the family business. And then all of a sudden they had this horrifying thought that God was saying, no, don't go into the family business of be the fourth generation family member. I want you to go to seminary and be a pastor instead. Walk away from the family business that everyone has always assumed you were going to lead. Yeah. Uh, or uh, write a book or become a public speaker. And they're saying, I'm not a public speaker. I, I, I'm terrified at that. And yet I feel like God's asking me to do that. Uh, or to start a business or to start a, a particular Christian ministry. I've had people that were very successful in corporate America and then they felt like God told them to go into a maximum security prison and love on uh, um, inmates serving life sentences who'd never had a loving father figure in their life. And these guys that were used to corporate America and white collar jobs are now walking into maximum security prisons and loving on some men that uh, have never experienced unconditional love in their entire life. Hmm. Uh, that, that, that's a crisis. It's like, God, I, I never in a million years would have dreamed that I'd be doing that. And yet I, I sense that you're asking me to do something that's way beyond me. Of course, the reason it's a crisis as well is because God doesn't need to ask you to do something that you can do on your own. Yeah, You can just do that in your own strength. And the reason he's always going to ask you to do something that's bigger than you is because that's when he gets the glory. Hmm. God doesn't get glory when you just do what you're good at. Uh, when you do something that you're good at, everybody gives you the glory and says, wow, isn't Sam good at that? Isn't he? He's always been so talented in that field. And there he goes again, doing what he's, he's great at. People talk about you and your skills and abilities and the glory all goes to you. Well, well God is interested in bringing glory to him. So he's going to do things in your life. At the end of the day, when God delivers all the Israelites out of Egypt, everybody's not talking about Moses, what a great leader he is. You know, in fact, everybody knows Moses is not necessarily gifted to lead. He's not yeah. good at delegating. Uh, he, he, in his own words, he's not a good public speaker, uh, in, on, on many different levels. Uh, Moses is not the person that you would have thought would be the ideal person to lead. Right. And so when all the Israelites are out of Egypt and on the way to the promised land, now everybody's going to 
know the reason for that is because of God, not Moses. And so God is always trying to stretch you to a place uh, where you're going to do something that if God doesn't intervene, if God doesn't answer your prayers, you're going to fail. And, uh, and really, you know, our, our life, we spend most of our life trying to be comfortable, trying to surround ourselves with enough uh, financial uh, support and, you know, insurance policies and uh, slush funds. If, if something goes wrong, hey, I, I've got life, I've got backup. Right. Uh, it'll be okay. I can handle this. I'm, I, I'm, I'm never attempting things that are beyond me or too big of a stretch. I'm playing it safe. Uh, I should be able to coast all the way to retirement, just living this way. Yeah. Uh, but God is constantly trying to get us to the place where without him, we're going to fail. In fact, Hebrews 11 verse six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we tend to spend our whole life trying to build a, a life that doesn't require faith. Mm. Uh, I don't need faith. I've got this much money in my savings account. I've got a good insurance policy. I've got this health plan. So yeah. uh, if uh, a crisis comes along, I got it covered. Uh, and so we spend all of our life trying to eliminate the need for faith. And God says, without faith, it's impossible to please me. So you just have to expect that when God orchestrates your life, he's not going to lead your life into a place that doesn't require faith. He's going to put you in a place where you do need faith. And so as soon as Abraham, or as soon as Moses uh, encounters this burning bush, it's not long before he's got to either have faith or he's going to have to pack up and go yeah. home. It's uh, because what God's telling him to do is utterly impossible without God. And I would just say, uh, when, when you look at the number of churches in America today, or you look at the number of people who pro- profess to be Christians today in America, and you realize um, yet so much of American society is not impressed with the church. They just see the church as out of date, uh, legalistic, uh, unloving, uh, critical. But, but nobody drives by a church and says, can you believe what happens there? I mean, isn't it amazing the kind of stuff that goes on in that place with those people? Most people never say that. It's, yeah. uh, it just has a very negative connotation. Uh, in, in Acts, it says that when God was doing miracles and his power was uh, evident in the church, it says great fear uh, was spreading, not just among Christians, but around people around the church because they just kept seeing these amazing things happening. Hmm. And, uh, and that's why the church grew so rapidly because everybody knew this is not just a group of, of lower class, former slaves, uh, forming some kind of religious organization. They, there was clearly a sense stuff's happening there that could only be explained by God. Hmm. And I feel like that's what God's trying to do to the church today is to say, look, uh, cause I know, I know churches that literally believe that if they can just stay comfortably within their budget, they can always put a certain percentage of their income aside for a rainy day. We'll, we'll, we'll buy these uh, CDs and investment uh, programs we'll have in place uh, so that we can earn interest on money we're not using. We can keep the lawns manicured and the buildings painted, uh, everything up to date, that the people in the neighborhood will say, wow, look at that church. Look how well run they are. Look at how well they maintain their property. Nobody's going to place their faith in Christ because you keep the lawn up to date. (laughs) Uh, They're going to be drawn to Christ because they see stuff happening in that church that can't be explained just by well-intentioned people uh, 
being good stewards of their resources. Mm. Uh, it's when all of a sudden they're giving themselves away, when they're losing their life uh, for, for others, when they're literally taking on making disciples of all nations. They're just one church, but they're, they actually have the audacity to think that their little church can touch a world for Christ, and they're attempting it, they're doing it. Then all of a sudden, people take note and say, what does that little group of people think? Who do they think they are? That they, they can't afford to do all that. Yeah. Why are they trying to do so much in our community and help so many people and, and be involved in ministering to so many? Uh, they don't have a huge budget. How do you explain that they're accomplishing so much? So I think that that's where God's trying to get every Christian and every church is that he will lead them out of their comfort zone, out of what they've always done, and begin to to, uh, work through them in ways that makes the community stand up and notice. And so I would, you know, if I were walking or talking with uh, a person today, I would say, so what is it that God has presently led you to do that is impossible for you with your resources, with your skills, with your experience, what has God led you to do that is impossible unless he intervenes, uh, unless he saves you? (laughs) Um, what is it in your life right now that God's asked you to do that scares you to death? If you're not scared to death at anything God's asked you to do, I would begin to wonder if you've been listening carefully enough Yeah, because God does not sit up there in heaven saying, how can I make Sam's life the most comfortable it can be today? (laughs) That just most of the time, if you look at the Bible, most of the time when God speaks to someone, of course, a lot of times he'll send an angel uh, to, to announce the assignment he has. And of course, the first thing angels typically say is fear not, don't be afraid. Um, that there's a reason, I mean, partly because you're talking to an angel that could be terrifying. But partly I think it's just when, whenever heaven comes and speaks to people, they just need to say, okay, I'm about to tell you something that's going to scare you to death. So yeah. just uh, don't be afraid, Gideon, but your God's going to do stuff through you you would never believe. Okay, Mary, I'm, I'm going to tell you something that will blow you away. So just don't be afraid, but <laughs> uh, I gotta, you might want to sit down. Yeah, are you sitting down? <laughs> uh, and oftentimes the reason for that is because God does not send angels, God does not send divine messages just to say, I hope you have a great day today. <laughs> God, God, when you're swept up into the activity of God, that's the biggest thing you'll ever be a part of. The kingdom of God, I don't care how, I, I work with CEOs of very large companies. None of them are as large as the kingdom of God. Yeah. None of them have the people, the resources, the, the global eternal scope that the kingdom of God has. And so when God invites you into to the work of his kingdom, I don't care if you've got a thousand, ten thousand employees that you regularly administer. God's activity is a lot bigger than that. Yeah. And so when God comes and says, "Now let me let you be a part of something really big, something that will affect eternity, uh, that will literally affect how many people reside in heaven for the rest of the ages," um, that that's that's big. And so don't be afraid of that. Don't run from that. Uh, it's okay to be scared. It's okay to be overwhelmed. This is God we're talking about. And uh, God has a way of overwhelming people because he's God. He knows the future. He knows so much we don't know. He's so much more powerful than we are that for him to honor you with the opportunity to be a part of something that only God can do, that may you, you may have one experience your whole life of truly being a part of something of that magnitude. Yeah. It'll be the highlight of your whole life. 
So every time God speaks to you, even if it seems ordinary, even if it's just like, hey, this guy hasn't, you haven't seen him at church in the last month. Why don't you just reach out to him and invite him for lunch? That seems like a pretty ordinary kind of simple thing. You can handle that on your own. But if God began to share what's on his heart for that person and that person's family and how it will affect eternity, it wouldn't take long for God to start explaining the multiple things he wants to do through that one lunch before your heart would start racing and you'd realize, surely God is up to something here. I'd had no idea there was that much going on. And so get ready because every time God speaks, um, if you truly understood what it was God was inviting you into, you couldn't help but have a heart that began to race, yeah. and uh, and 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 you'd begin to your your breath might come up short, and you realize here we go again. But what a privilege to be a part of something that only God can do. What a great way to spend your life. And uh, so I pray even this week, if our listeners have a sense that God is inviting them into something that He wants them to do, it doesn't matter that you're scared. It doesn't matter you've never done that before. Yeah. You you never if you want to live a life of regrets just to keep explaining to God why he's got the wrong person. He needs to find someone else. And you'll look back on your life and realize those were the watershed moments where God was going to really make you truly live a life worth living, but uh, you you passed on it. Hmm. And now you spend the rest of your life wondering what if. Hmm. Don't live that way. Uh, no matter how scary it is, just say yes and let God sweep you into the midst of his eternal activity and discover what it really means uh, to live your life to the fullest. Well, let's stop right here then. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, review us on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. If you have questions or comments, please email us at podcast at blackbee.org.